Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. That is page 180 in the Black Church Bibles. Last week we saw God miraculously drive back the waters of the mighty Jordan River. He, dr- he drove them back some 20 miles so that the Israelites were able to cross on dry ground into the promised land of Canaan. This was a historic moment for Israel. After hundreds of years, they were setting foot into the land that God promised their forefathers, the the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give it to their descendants. That is being fulfilled in real time as they cross over into the land of Canaan. And Joshua 5 verse 1 shows how other nations reacted to the news of Israel crossing the Jordan. Look with me at verse 1. God's word says, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, as soon as they heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Isn't that an awesome verse? The Amorites in the hill country, the Canaanites in the plains and along the coast, all the nations of Canaan were terrified because they heard how the Lord dried up the Jordan River so that the Israelites could cross on dry ground. Why were they terrified? Well, even these pagan nations recognized that the God of Israel was unlike any God that they had ever encountered. He was unlike any God that they worshipped. They knew there was something unique about him, and they were terrified, and rightly so. And as we heard back in chapter 2 from Rahab, We heard from her that the inhabitants of Jericho were afraid of Israel because they knew that God had parted the Red Sea for Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And now here in in Joshua 5.1, the nations are terrified. Why? Because God has has done the same thing for the Jordan River. And in so doing, now the Israelites are right on their doorsteps. And so the nations are terrified And I imagine that the the Israelites, how do you think they were feeling? I think the Israelites were stoked, right, as we say. Right? I mean, I think they were excited and pumped up. I mean, they just just witnessed this great miracle. And, And they've heard the reports from Rahab, or from the spies from Rahab, right, that the nations are terrified. So they're probably thinking... Hey, we should attack quickly while the nations are shaking in their boots. Let's invade now while we have them on their heels. But rather than seizing the momentum and having the Israelites strike fast, what we see here in chapter 5 is God hits the pause button. God knows that Israel needs to get herself prepared And by prepared, I don't mean militarily prepared, but spiritually prepared. They've come out of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness under the judgment of God. And now they're about to engage in in many battles. 
And think about it, soon they're going to be exposed to various Canaanite cultures and gods. And so the Israelites need to have their hearts fully devoted to the Lord. And so the title of the sermon this morning is Renewing Their Relationship with God. Renewing their relationship with God. That is what God has Israel do here in Joshua chapter 5. And so this morning as we work through this chapter, I will give four things that Israel needed to be reminded about concerning their relationship with God. So if you're taking notes, that's why there's four points. And then at the end, we will briefly consider how these points, um, or how, how those truths point to us and our relationship with God now as Christians under the new covenant. Okay? So that's going to be our plan. Talk about Israel, and then we'll talk about us more at the end. So let's begin. Number one, before starting the conquest, Israel must recognize they are Marked off as God's chosen people. Marked off as God's chosen people. Look with me at verse 2, please. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. As part of of God's covenant with Abraham, God required that all the male offspring of Abraham be circumcised on the eighth day. And The purpose of that was circumcision was to be a sign in their flesh that they were God's chosen people. And as God's chosen people, it was to be a sign that they were recipients of God's promises. So circumcision was very important in in the nation of Israel, to the nation of Israel under the old covenant. And so here in Joshua 5, 2 says, God commands the male Israelites to be circumcised A second time. Now that may raise questions for you. But what second time means here is that this is the second time of commanding a nationwide circumcision of all Israelite males. Right? In other words, he's talking about, okay, this has been done before, but now it hasn't been done. Right? We're going to see in the following verses that Israel has not been keeping this command for an entire generation. All that time that they wandered in the wilderness, they were not circumcising their boys on on the eighth day as the Lord commanded. And so now God's saying it's time for a restart. Before they begin the conquest of the promised land, they need to get current on on obeying their covenant commands. And like we have seen throughout this book already, Joshua immediately obeys then in verse 3. Right? He was given the command, verse 2. Verse 3 says, So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbeath Haraloth. And this, verse 4, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came up out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on, on the way after they had come up out of Egypt. Verse 5, though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land um, that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. 
All right, so this is their first time doing this. They, they, they've been neglecting this command. They haven't been doing it. This is necessary because the previous generation has not been circumcising their boys for the last 40 years in the wilderness, which what these verses show, that's, that was really fitting that they weren't doing this important sign related to the covenant because that generation was under God's judgment. I mean, they were, the reason they were in the wilderness was, <clears throat> excuse me, because they had not obeyed the Lord. They had not trusted in his promises. So, again, it's kind of fitting <laughs> that they wouldn't be taking on the sign, uh, which was to remind them they're recipients of God's promises, because they weren't receiving those promises. God saw to that, right, because of their unbelief. But now... This new generation of Israelites has just set foot in the promised land. And this is a fresh start. This is an opportunity to renew the covenant. To start doing things right. It's a chance for this generation, unlike their forefathers, their their previous generation, it's a chance for them to obey and trust the Lord. And so that's what they do. Praise God. They obey and they are circumcised. Which... Speaking about trusting and obeying, it took some faith for the Israelites to do this at this time, right? I mean, granted, they they knew that the Canaanites were melting in fear, but, but again, think about it. They're getting ready to press ahead to battle against their enemies. They're right on the doorstep of their enemies, and now God has just said, hey, I want you to render every male inoperative for the next several days. I mean, they, by doing this, they just sidelined their whole army. And if you remember a, a, kind of a, a brief account back in Genesis chapter 34, when Simeon and Levi's sister Dinah was defiled by a, a Hivite. And so obviously, Simeon and Levi are, are upset about that. They want justice. They, they wrongly take vengeance into their own hands and to an extreme measure by pretending to make a covenant with with that Hivite and his whole city. And so they, they trick them into being circumcised, basically, right? Saying, oh yeah, let's have a relationship, but you need to be circumcised. And so then once all the men of that city did that, they're in pain for several days. They can't fight. And so that was all part of Simeon and Levi's scheme. Then they went and slaughtered all the men. So I just bring that up to say, you know, the Israelites have, have again, sidelined themselves for a while here. Israel's just made themselves very vulnerable by circumcising every male while in close proximity to their opponents. But God is in control. Because of God's mighty miracles, God has Israel's enemies, verse 1, frozen with fear. So it's like God went ahead and made this this window of time for Israel to to get, get right, renew the covenant, and then to heal and recuperate. So it's really cool the way God orchestrated all of that. Verse 8. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in, in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. So God uses 
the, the picture of circumcision to encourage his people, telling Joshua that he has rolled away the reproach of Egypt from them. And so the, the very name of the town testifies to that. During the, and you say, what does that mean, the reproach of Egypt, right? Well, think about it. During their 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites were the laughingstock of Egypt and probably other nations. You can imagine what, what those nations might have been saying. And it's really, go way back to when the Israelites broke the covenant with the golden calf. These were the very... This was what Moses was appealing to, saying, God, don't destroy your people because what will the other nations say? Right? So imagine what the nations were saying about, the, about, the, about God and about his people during those 40 years. Oh, well, yeah, God delivered them out of Egypt, but, but what? Just to have them wander around aimlessly and, and die in the wilderness? <laughs> but now, God is vindicating Israel and he's vindicating his name because the Israelites are out of the wilderness and they're in the promised land of Canaan. And together they are making a fresh start and God's glory will be shown by driving out the nations of Canaan from before them. So the reproach of Egypt has been rolled away and hopefully the second generation of Israelites will not be like their parents who complained and clamored to go back to Egypt. Right? You know, and I was struck by how many times in those verses when he's explaining why this generation hadn't been um, circumcised, he kept saying, you know, the ones that came out of Egypt, Egypt, and it was just Egypt all over the place, right? And then now he's saying, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt. And it's kind of like, let's... Let's make a break from that, right? Egypt was your old life. Now you've been redeemed. Now you belong to God. Don't be clamoring to go back there. I'm keeping my promises. Israel's made a decisive break with Egypt once and for all so that they can be fully devoted to the Lord their God. By the way, this topic of circumcision made me think of Uh, Colossians 2, which Pastor John read for us, and verses 11 through 13 of Colossians 2 teach that when Christ saves a person, he circumcises their hearts. He cuts away their dead hearts. He cuts away, as Colossians 2 says, their body of flesh, their their, uh, old self that was enslaved to sin. He cuts that away. And in Christ, their old sinful nature was put to death on the cross and they're given a new nature. And so all this talk about circumcision, may it just remind you believers that you now no longer live under your old nature. Rather, by God's grace and God's power, we have new hearts that now truly love God and want to follow Christ. Here in Joshua 5, then, Israel has demonstrated that they are marked off as God's chosen people. We're ready for the second point. And we'll, we'll, move, through. we'll move through three and four quickly. One and two take just a little more time. Secondly, then, before starting the conquest, Israel must recognize they are, number two, delivered by God's sovereign power. Number two is delivered by God's sovereign power power. Israel need to recognize this, remember this, celebrate this. Look at verse 10. 
While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. I mentioned last week that in God's providence, these events were coinciding with the time of Passover. Joshua 4.19 said that the people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, which was the day uh, that they were to take, you know, historically that they were to take the, choose the lamb that they were going to use as the Passover lamb. That was when they were supposed to take it and actually bring it into their house, which is interesting, right? They're supposed to, I believe, the purpose of that was to have this special bonding for like four days with this animal so that that substitutionary atonement was really driven home. Wow, this animal is dying in the place of me. So they cross the Jordan on the day that they bring in the lambs to the house. And now here, we're four days later, we're on the 14th day, which was the day they were to kill the lambs and spread the blood. So, Israel is celebrating this this. this festival that God has given them to remember that first Passover meal in Egypt when God's angel of death killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. It was the tenth and final plague, but yet God passed over the Israelite homes who had spread the blood on their door frames. And so God, back back there in Exodus, said Israel was to celebrate this meal every year at this time to remind them of how God had powerfully delivered them from slavery in Egypt by bringing judgment on the Egyptians, but how he had mercifully spared every Israelite home that was covered by the blood. Now we know from Numbers 9 that the Israelites did celebrate the Passover their, their first year in the wilderness, and so maybe... They've celebrated other years, I don't know. But here in Joshua 5, this is significant. Think about it. This is, they're celebrating the Passover for the first time in the promised land. They've just been circumcised, now they're celebrating the Passover. The Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt on that original Passover night, has now brought them into the land just as he has promised and so you put this all together, you know, the circumcision, the Passover. It's like, it's like the Israelites are renewing their covenant relationship with God. Maybe today, like the Israelites, you need to rededicate your relationship to God. Are there any here today whose love, you'd have to admit... Your love for God, your love for others, it's grown cold. Your zeal for Christ and his kingdom has waned. Then I I urge you, rededicate your, your life to the Lord. Between you and God, just make that decision. Just acknowledge your sin. Repent. Confess those sins, those sins of love growing cold, those sins of, 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 of loving the world too much. Confess those sins to God this morning. And, and then affirm God's love and forgiveness to you in Christ. Be reminded of the promises of the gospel. That there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So affirm God's love, confess the sins, affirm God's love and forgiveness, and then request God's grace to change. 
So you say, you admit, say, Lord, I've gotten off track. My love's grown cold. I'm not doing the, the, and again, I know the Christian life is a lot about being. It's not just about doing, but, but you'd say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in faith and in obedience. I'm not pursuing you like I should. And so, God, please forgive me. I want to change, and I need your help. It's clear that my heart is prone to wander. It's clear that in my own strength, I don't have the discipline I need to pursue you. I, my heart still has remaining sin that, that craves the world too much. And so, God, give me grace to change. Give me grace to pursue the means of grace. And so that's, that's one of the, my prayers in this message, that as we are studying and observing Israel renewing their relationship with God, that any here today who need to do that, need to just rededicate, just need to, to kind of have a fresh start, that you would do that as well today. And perhaps for some today, it's not about rededicating a relationship with God. You don't have a relationship with God. You're still without Christ. And the Bible says that God made you He made you to have a relationship with him. He made you, he created you so that you would worship him and know him and enjoy him forever. But sin has messed that all up. Adam's sin gave us all a sin nature. And your own sin has separated you from God. And the Bible says that all who die in their still in their sins. So not only now do you not have a relationship with God, but the Bible says that all who die still in their sins will be separated from God forever in in judgment, in hell. And so you need a relationship with God. Not only to avoid hell, but but just to, uh, it's what your soul was made for. And until you have a relationship with God, your soul will constantly be Searching for other things to satisfy it, but nothing else will. And so I urge you to pursue God. And the good news is God has, in his love and in his grace and his mercy, he has provided the means for us to have that relationship with him. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live and die in the place of sinners And to pay for the sins of all who will trust in him. Jesus then on the third day rose from the dead. Defeating sin and death. And he reigns now in heaven as Lord. And so through Jesus our relationship with God can be restored. We can have a relationship with God. Jesus gives new life. He gives eternal life. He gives forgiveness of sins. He gives the promised Holy Spirit to all who turn from their sins and by faith embrace him as Savior and Lord. Do you have a relationship with God today? You can have one through Jesus Christ. And I urge you to do that. And if I can be any help to you after the service, please see me about that. Back to the Israelites then. 
They've been circumcised, showing they are God's chosen people. They've celebrated the Passover to commemorate God's powerfully delivering them from bondage. And now thirdly, before starting the conquest, Israel must recognize they are experiencing God's fulfilled promises. Experiencing God's fulfilled promises. Look at verse 11. And the day after the Passover, on that, on that very day, check this out. They ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Three times in those two verses, it says they ate the produce of the land. This is significant, right? For 40 years they've had manna, but now the manna has stopped. Why? Because their days of wilderness wanderings are over. As God promised, they are now in the land of Canaan. And they're able to gather the grain and produce of the, of the promised land. Think of, about how exciting that was for them. Imagine what it was like for Israel at that time. Seeing and exploring the promised land. To, to observe and enjoy all the different kinds of food there was. Knowing that God had given them this land. You know, I'm, they're, they're looking out and I'm sure just starting to think like, okay, so these are the types of crops that you can grow in, in this area, right? And, and, and we're going to be able to cultivate that and enjoy crops like that for generations to come. Why? Because God has kept his promises. God has brought us into this land, So the Israelites have been marked off as God's chosen people. They've celebrated God delivering them by his sovereign power. And they are experiencing God's fulfilled promises. And now fourthly and finally. Before starting the conquest, Israel must recognize they are led by God's holy presence. Led by God's holy presence. Verse 13 says Joshua went by Jericho. Evidently, Joshua has gone out ahead by himself, probably scoping out Jericho, perhaps prayerfully planning how they should advance on this great city. And I, you know, think, how do you think Joshua's feeling at this moment? I mean, there's been some victories, right? There's been some encouraging things happen, and I'm sure Joshua was encouraged. He was encouraged by the news the spies brought back uh, from Rahab. Uh, he's been certainly encouraged by the miracle of crossing the, the Jordan. He's been encouraged by, by this renewed faithfulness, this renewal of the covenant through the circumcision and celebrating Passover. But still, this great city of Jericho stands before him unconquered. And so I'm guessing Joshua must have felt the responsibility of that. He must have felt the weight of that. The weight of the task, the overwhelmingness of the task ahead of him and ahead of them. But then look look what happens in, in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us? Or for our adversaries. So no doubt this man looked like a warrior. Armed for battle. Sword drawn. Understandably then Joshua wants to know. Whose side is he on? 
Has this man come to fight for the Israelites or has he come to fight against the Israelites? But the mysterious warrior gives an interesting answer in verse 14. And he said, no. (laughs) Don't you love that when you ask an either or question and someone says no. (laughs) No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. In other words, Joshua, you're asking the wrong question. I've not come to take sides. Rather, I've come to take command. I've come to take charge. I've come to lead. Now, true, he's going to be fighting for Israel. But he's not come to merely join the ranks. Rather, to lead Israel. He is the commander of the army of the Lord. The commander of the army of Yahweh. Now, what does that mean? What does the army of the Lord mean? Right, the word is hosts. Right, this phrase is used in Exodus 12, 41 to describe the Israelites themselves. But commonly, that phrase is used in the Old Testament to talk about angelic beings. Like the the God of angel armies. Well, we're, we're not sure which one he refers to here. But what is clear is that this figure has come with the authority of God. This, this man, this warrior has come to lead and direct the attack on the Canaanite nations. But then, what we see next is that this man doesn't just come with the authority of God, but that he is God himself. Look at the middle of verse 14. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped, worshipped this man and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua worships the man and is not rebuked for it. So this can't be an angel because in the Bible, whenever a human fell down and worshipped before the angel, what would the angel say? They're like, stop it, knock it off. You worship God alone. Joshua's not rebuked here, is he? On top of that, the man tells Joshua to take off his sandals because he is standing on holy ground. That's why I believe this man was God himself. I believe this is what the theologians call a theophany. A human representation of God himself. Most scholars believe that this is a pre-incarnate form of Christ. In other words, this is the eternal Son of God, right? God exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is the eternal Son of God before he was born of a virgin and became Jesus of Nazareth. Here the Son of God has temporarily taken on a human form to appear before Joshua. Abraham had a similar experience So we've seen this. Jacob had an experience like this as well. Abraham, it was a stranger eating with him. You can see that in Genesis 18. Jacob, it was a man wrestling with him in Genesis 32. And here we have God visiting his servant momentarily in human form. God is getting Joshua spiritually prepared for the task before him. And 
Is this whole scene making you think of another scene that I haven't mentioned yet? Take off your sandals for the, you're standing on holy ground. Moses in the burning bush, right? Very similar. Just like God visited Moses at, in the burning bush before sending him to Egypt to lead God's people. So here God visits Joshua before he begins and leads the people on this conquest of Canaan. Joshua needs to know beyond a doubt that God is holy and that God is sovereign and that God is with them, leading them into battle against the Canaanites. And Joshua also needs to know that the burdens of leadership do not fall finally on him, that the Lord is the ultimate commander. The Lord is leading his people to claim the land that he has promised them. And by Joshua's response, we see that he demonstrates that he is submitted to the Lord's sovereign and loving rule. Joshua shows that he fears the Lord, that he's humbled by the Lord's grace, that he, that by God's grace that he's showing him in, in all of Israel. These are essential qualities for the man through whom God works for his glory. To have a reverent fear of God, to be humbled by God's grace, to recognize God's power, to believe God's promises that God is with him. And so God is, is driving home those truths to Joshua here. So, to wrap this up then, to summarize, before heading into battle against the Canaanites, God showed Joshua and the Israelites that they are marked off as God's chosen people, delivered by God's sovereign power, experiencing God's fulfilled promises and led by God's holy presence and like I said as we bring this to a close then I want us to notice very briefly how these traits these traits that were true of Old Testament Israel under the old covenant they are even more gloriously true for us as believers under the new covenant by God's grace we have been marked off as God's chosen people Ephesians 1.13 says that in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There's your mark. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? Seals are, show ownership. A, a letter with the king's seal show that the letter was from the king. Livestock are branded to show to whom they belong. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're God's people. When God saves us through faith in Christ, he seals us with the indwelling Holy Spirit, showing that we belong to God. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, the, the Holy Spirit is an invisible mark, isn't it? Isn't he, I should say. Excuse me. But, he produces a noticeable change in the lives of believers. Galatians 5 lists the fruit of the Spirit. And what's the foundational fruit in the fruit of the Spirit? What is it? Love. Love. Love for God. Love for others. Faith and love in Christ. Love for Christ and faith in Christ. 
I say that to say the Spirit marks us off as God's people and love is the distinguishing mark that we are God's people. That's what Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Holy Spirit marks us off as the chosen people of God. Chosen not for any merit in ourselves, but solely because of God's grace and mercy. Like we heard at the beginning of the service, Peter rejoiced and say, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So when we talk about Israel being God's chosen people, I want you to rejoice that by God's grace, if you're in Christ, you are his people. We've been marked off by the Holy Spirit as God's chosen and beloved people. Number two, we've been delivered from sin's penalty and enslaving power through Christ, our Passover lamb, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Jesus was sacrificed in our place on the cross in order to save us. Christ bore our sins and died as our substitute so that the wrath of God would not fall on us, but rather pass over us forever. We are forgiven and set free from bondage to sin so that we can live for God's glory. Number three, we are experiencing God's fulfilled promises. Do you think, have you thought about that? Right? I know we, there's more promises to come for sure, And we long for those, but we're already experiencing so many of God's fulfilled promises. Jesus, the promised and long-awaited Savior King, the Messiah, has come. He has rescued us from God's wrath and defeated sin and death. He is reigning now as Lord of heaven and earth. He has sent the promised Holy Spirit to give us the new birth. We're enjoying the promised new covenant blessings in that we know God. We have assurance of forgiveness of sins. God's law has been written on our hearts. We're experiencing God's fulfilled promises, loved ones. What a reason to rejoice. And yes, there's more to come. But we know God is faithful. He's already kept so many of his promises and we know he'll be faithful to keep the others. Come, Lord Jesus. Which brings us fourthly and finally. We are led by God's holy presence. We as believers are led by God's holy presence. The Holy Spirit leads us in the way of love and righteousness. The Holy Spirit guides us, teaches us according to God's word. He strengthens us to stand firm in the gospel promises. He makes real God's great love for us. He intercedes for us in the midst of the battle. He he reminds us of all the blessings that we have in Christ. So loved ones, let us be encouraged that God is with us. Let us rely on him continually. And let us, like Joshua, humbly worship in reverent fear because God's holy presence is in us and among us. Father, we bow before you today and we praise your name. We thank you for your word that you've recorded for us. We thank you for these experiences, these truths, these accounts of your old covenant people that we can read and learn from. We praise you for who you are. You are holy 
You are Lord of heaven and earth. Thank you for the amazing privilege of being your people. Thank you for sending your son to save us and for setting us free. Thank you for your spirit living inside of us. Please help us to remember all these blessings and many more. Please help us to cultivate our relationship with you. And again, if there are any here today, Father, who don't don't know you, please draw them to yourself and give them faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand, please? Let's sing a song of, final song of praise this morning.